Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Quartz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. In this series that we're in, Discovering Church, we're spending some time re-envisioning the church from a biblical perspective. Our goal, our aim is to see it as it really is and to understand it as God has given it to us. We've been spending some time in Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to return there today. We've seen together already the miracle of the church, but today I want us to see together the mystery that attends the church. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to be looking together at verses 13 to 18 with a special focus on verses 17 and 18. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Ephesians, speaking specifically to believers there who have a non-Jewish background, a Gentile background, and he's saying to them, here are some things that I want you to to remember. I don't want you to forget these things. I want you to to remember them. I want you to bear them in mind as you live your lives specifically together as the church of Jesus Christ. He says, verse 13, but now you once were alienated, you once were separated, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility that used to exist between us. He has abolished the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man, one new people in the place of two, so making peace. And he did all this that he might, verse 16, reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility, effectively, that was killing us. The hostility that is killing our world. Out of, it comes out of the divisions that we have and know and experience. And he came, verse 17 says, and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near, for through him... Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. In one spirit to the Father. Now, Lord God, we, uh, we come into your presence this morning with grateful hearts, with thankful hearts. We're able to be together as a church family that we're able to gather around your word, that we are able to gather as your family around your word in your very presence. Father, I pray that you will keep me from taking your high word and putting it in low ways. That, Father, you would cause us as hearers to hear your great truths not in low ways, but with the majesty with which you've given them to us in their greatness. 
that you might cause us, Lord God, to see you and to see the church and to see each other and to see ourselves in ways that are fresh and new and different. Lord God, that you would speak to us from your word as our is our plea and our prayer that you would meet us here, that we would know your presence and that we would stand in awe of the fact that you are here with us. I pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have you, have you ever lost something uh, that was valuable to you, irreplaceable? Have you ever had that experience? Maybe it was money. I remember as a young man, I lost a $100 bill, which was like $1,000, and, and, and I could not find it. I did not know if it had fallen out of my pocket I, I, at the, at the, at the, at the uh, pharmacy. I, I didn't know where it was. I couldn't find it. I never did find it. Somebody found it. Somebody got blessed. I got cursed. <laughs> I couldn't find it. It was valuable to me. It was irreplaceable. When you lose something like that, you begin to think to yourself of all the things you could have had, had you just spent it instead of keeping it and all of that. Have you ever lost something that was to you valuable and irreplaceable? Sometimes for us, it's money. Sometimes for us, it's, it's a pet that goes lost. Sometimes for us, it's an engagement ring or a family heirloom. Uh, I always feel, especially for those whose homes are burned up with fire, who lose everything they have in, in just a little while, all their memories, all their, their treasured possessions gone in a short period of time. And that kind of loss is always extremely painful, but it isn't the worst kind of loss. The far worst kind of loss is to lose someone who's presence to you is irreplaceable, whose presence to you is invaluable. Indeed, for most of us, the greatest loss we will ever experience in this life is the loss of people and the loss of relationships, the loss of parents and spouses or children, close friends, when they pass from us and they're gone, when divorce happens and they're gone. When tragedy strikes and they're gone, almost immediately when they're gone, we, we see that this relationship, this person that we probably had treated as being so common, so ordinary, so typical of our lives, now that they're gone, suddenly we see them differently. It is as if we recognize finally their value and the privilege it was for us to have them in our lives. What a rare privilege it was, particularly if they're close, a rare privilege to, to know them and to be known by them, to love them and to be loved by them. And so we grieve the loss of, of uh, people and relationships when they pass from us. And there is this odd kind of loss of peace and wholeness that comes when that kind of relationship is gone. And we find ourselves mourning the fact that we can't bring them, we can't bring the relationship back, we can't effectively restore what we've lost, and we grieve. 
That kind of loss is inevitably part of every person's story because inevitably you and I lose things, but more importantly, we lose people that are for us treasures. But it's also part of the greater human story. It it makes us and it marks us in ways that we don't always see. And there's no real understanding of our passage for this morning. There's no real understanding of the church, a true, deep understanding of the church of Jesus Christ without understanding this broader human loss that every single one of us has experienced. I want us to see it today, and I want to see with you how it makes and marks the church. Now, we can summarize our passage for the morning in this way. First, in verses 13 to 16, we see Paul tells us that uh, what the crucified Christ has won for us on the cross for, and for a world of sinners is peace, peace with God, peace with each other. And so we're a people, we've said the church is a people made by peace, made for peace, marked by peace with each other. The, peop- the church is, is a, a, a community of people transformed together, brought together by the peace Christ made on his cross. And so we said the church is a miracle. It is a new community of very different people, given peace with God, but also peace with each other. Despite all of our differences, peace with each other. But there's something more here, and I want you to see it. Look at verses 17 and 18. Paul teaches us that this peace also comes with a definite purpose. With this peace, there comes the gift of a great privilege that was long lost, but now has been restored. And that's what we want to explore in verses 17 and 18 today. These verses teach us what this uh, mysterious privilege is, how it comes, and what it means. And I want to examine that with you as you and I seek to capture in a fresh way what the church, the core of the church, the heart of the church is really all about. Look with me, first of all, these, these two verses, verses 17 and 18, and see with me what the mysterious privilege of peace actually is, the purpose behind the peace that God gives. The scripture says, Paul says, and he, Christ, came and preached peace to you who were far off, peace to those who were near. Why? For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now I want you to notice with me in verse 17, first of all, Paul teaches us that what the crucified Christ won, it was the crucified Christ who won peace for us with God. It was the crucified Christ who won peace for us with each other. What unites us is the cross. Anything that divides us is always less than the cross, right? You think of anything that might divide you, it's always less than the cross of Jesus. What the crucified Christ won for us was peace by his cross. What the resurrected Christ, and it is the resurrected Christ that Paul speaks of in verse 17, what the resurrected Christ does for us is to proclaim that the peace that the crucified Christ won is now available to all who will receive it. The crucified Christ wanted, the resurrected Christ proclaims it. Does that make sense to you? He proclaims it. He proclaims it. He proclaimed it after his resurrection. He proclaimed it through his apostles, and he still proclaims it through those who are his followers 
today, you and me, he's still proclaiming peace. Now, I want you to put your finger, if you would, just for a moment on that word peace. If you've got a Bible, if you've got your smartphone, don't touch it. You'll mess it up. But I want, you, I want you to notice this word preach. Now, you think that perhaps what Jesus is doing is what I'm doing right now. But actually, the word there for preach is the word from which is the same uh, Greek word from which we get the words evangelize and evangelism. It is to proclaim good news. And so the description here is that Christ, the resurrected Christ, when he was raised, proclaimed or announced the good news of peace. The good news of peace made, the good news of peace come to the world to those who are, who are near and far. But why does he do this? Verse 18 tells us why. Lest we miss it, Paul tells us directly in verse 18, he says that what makes Christ's peace good news isn't simply, and this is so important, isn't simply that the hostility that existed between us and a holy God has been removed. That, that isn't simply it. It isn't simply now that, that in Christ you and I can have healthy relationships because all that divided us has now been minimized by the cross and its power. It isn't simply that. There's something more. Verse 18 says that what makes Christ's peace good news for us is the purpose behind it and the result of it. And the purpose behind it and the result of that peace is the highest privilege known to humanity. It is what Paul calls in verse 18 access, 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 our great privilege is access, access to the Father. And here Paul teaches us that the final purpose of the peace that Christ made and now proclaims is to make the way for us to have this privilege of access. The peace of Christ leads to the privilege of access. Now, access is a small word, but a powerful one that we shouldn't ignore. Paul uses it here to portray God as a king whose presence can only be entered by those who are properly qualified. The idea here is that the new people of God in Christ now have a right or a privilege they didn't have before because it had been lost to them. It's a privilege once held by all of us but was lost long ago and seemed doomed never to be recovered. It happened, of course, in our fall into sin. And it wasn't just a loss of innocence. It wasn't just a loss of eternal life. What happened in the fall was that God became lost to us and we became lost to God. It's why we're called lost. God became lost to us. We became lost to him. God had created Adam and Eve uh, perfect. He had placed them in a perfect garden, had given them the gift of direct fellowship with him. In fact, one of the most beautiful pictures you find in Genesis 3 is of God coming and walking among them in the cool of the day. There's this intimate picture of ongoing fellowship with the living God. Now, what that must have been like, I don't know, because God is spirit. 
but he came. He came to be where they are with them in this intimate, direct, unmediated experience of God. It, it was extraordinary. But because sin entered their lives by their own choice, this direct fellowship they'd enjoyed with God himself was lost. And it strikes me that here, here, here Adam and Eve having this unparalleled experience of God, for whatever reason, came to see it as common and ordinary and something that could be dispensed with and tossed to the side when it was in reality a rare privilege, the privilege, watch now, of knowing and being known by God, of loving Him and being loved by Him and knowing it clearly, plainly. And I suppose if we were to step back the human story from, the, from, from that point forward is the story of human beings grieving the loss of this person, the privilege of this relationship, even though they don't know exactly what they're grieving. It, uh, I think a, a faithful picture of our world is, is of humanity always grieving, always searching, always hungry, always looking, always wanting, never finding. We have no peace. We have no wholeness. And though we don't always see it or understand it, we mourn the fact that we cannot bring him or that relationship that we had at the beginning back. We can't restore what we've lost. And we try. Oh, do we try. But now... Paul says, because of the peace now that Christ has won, this access and privilege to enter God's presence, to come to him without fear, to come to him in prayer, to come to him in worship, to come to him for fellowship is possible again. And so the peace that Christ has won for us comes with a privilege restored, a privilege that's meant to be used and enjoyed again and again, now and for eternity. It's a powerful thing, and I wish we had time. We don't, but it's a powerful thing to to take this picture of this, this privilege of access and go to the book of Hebrews and explore what Hebrews says about this, this uh, access. But I'll give you a quick summary of it if I can because I want you to see this. In Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 20, for example, uh, the writer teaches us that the access that we have, this privilege that has been given to us, is, is a direct access to the Father. It says, you know, in, in, in the past, in the, in the Old Testament, that when, that when God's presence was said to be there in the Holy of Holies, that when his people would gather, they had to stay outside. Only the high priest one time a year could go inside, could go inside to be where God is. Everyone else had to stay outside. But the, the writer of the Hebrew says, now in Christ, we, Christ mediates for us. Christ moves us in. But when we come in, we come in to the Holy of Holies. We come into the very presence of God. We, we are not kept outside in the outer court. We're brought in where God is. We have a direct access. 
He goes on to say in that same chapter that we have a confident access to the Father. And what that means is there's never a time, never a time when we're not invited in. There's never a time, there's no an opening and closing times on the Holy of Holies. There's, there's no they open from nine to five and off at Christmas. There's no schedule for access. In Hebrews 10, the writer says the only requirements are that, that we come to him with a true heart, faith in his faithfulness, cleansed hearts, that is we've dealt with sin, and clean living. That's a quick summary. A true heart, faith in his faithfulness, cleansed hearts, and clean living. If those things aren't in place, he still brings us in. It's just that when we come into his presence, if those things aren't dealt with, he's going to say to us, son or daughter, we gotta deal with this. We gotta deal with this. You're not trusting my faithfulness. We gotta deal with this. Your heart's not clean. We gotta deal with this. You've got some habits in your life. We gotta deal with this. You've got some bitterness. We gotta deal with this. You've got some envy. We gotta deal with this. You've got some lust. We gotta deal with this. You've got some, some, some uh, 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 discouragement that's anchored in your lack of capacity to trust me. We gotta deal with this. Don't, don't bring me any requests. Don't, 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 let's not sit down and enjoy one another's fellowship because we get, we've got to deal with this. We've got to deal with this. Oh, come on in. I, I want you here. But we've got to deal with this. Have you ever prayed? Have you ever opened the Bible? Have you ever been in a worship service and everything seemed dry and dull and hard? You ever prayed and it felt like the skies, I think the Old Testament puts it this way, were, were, are like bronze. You can't, nothing gets through. You ever felt like that? You ever opened the word of God and said, now Lord, speak to me and, and it's just words on a page? Ever had that happen? I'm, I'll tell you exactly what's happening. It's not that God's gone anywhere. He's right there. He's just saying, hey, we, we got a few things we got to deal with before we can talk. There are a few things. You know, uh, David put it this way. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. The Lord will not hear me. But at the end of the day, here's the point. Our access to the Father is a direct access, and it can be a confident access. There, there is no open and closed times. He just wants us to be clean. In Hebrews 4, for example, verse 16, the author also describes our access as an expected access to the Father. And I love this. I love this. In fact, I'll read this passage for you. This is a, probably a well-known passage to most of you, but he says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find help in time of need. Draw near so that you can. Draw near because you will. What you need when you have a need is God's mercy and God's grace, God's strength to help in time of need. Only access to the Father, our access to the Father is such that we cannot only go, 
we can, uh, with confidence of being received and heard, but we can also go with the expectation that our, watch this, and I love this, write this down, think about this for a minute, that our needs, he takes seriously. Our concerns, he makes our needs, now watch, and our concerns, his needs and his concerns. He stands ready to hear us by his mercy and grace. He stands ready to help us. And all he asks that we do in that moment is trust him. He asks us to set aside our own expectations of the way things ought to be and to let him be God in our lives. Brother, when you faced cancer, do you, do you, did you have this experience or not of coming into the presence of God and, and realizing that you were gonna to have to just lay everything before him? It's the only way to find mercy and grace in our time of need. I cannot put my desires on God. But what I can do, now watch this, what I can do is I can expect the best from him who sits on that throne. I don't get to define it, but I can sure expect it. Now write that down, Mark. That's good. I want to remember that for the second service. I hate when that happens. No, I love it. You know, you, when you preach, just if you ever do preach, you've you, you got to let the Spirit lead you, right? That's right. Um, but I have, a, I have a right, a privilege of expecting great things from a great God because of his mercy and his great grace. Everything we need is found where the Father is. Some of you right now, you've got a great need. I only have one recommendation for you. Take it to the Father. Take it to the Father. Trust his mercy. Trust his grace. Take it to the Father. Everything you need, the Father has. Don't go looking anywhere else. Everywhere else will fail you. Everywhere else will let you down. Everywhere else will give you the wrong answer to your life questions. Don't go anywhere else. Go to the Father. Everything you need, the Father has. And all of this means that if you're a member of the body of Christ, it's your distinct privilege together in Christ to come into the presence of God. And every gathering we share with each other 
It ought to be an intentional use of this once lost, now found privilege of coming into his presence directly, confidently, expectantly. Oh, I would love it if I knew that a majority of our people walked through those doors every time we gathered with a sense that they were coming, that we are coming directly into the presence of God in a way that is reserved for when his people gather. Oh, how I wish when we came into this place, we came expectantly. Expecting God to show up, expecting God in his mercy and grace to give us a fresh word, to give us some fresh direction, to give us some fresh guidance, to give us some fresh comfort, because I, I guarantee you there's not a person in this room who doesn't need something fresh in their lives from God. There isn't one of us that doesn't need something fresh from God in their lives. Every time we gather as life groups, every time we gather in prayer groups, every time we gather, there should be an intentional use of this privilege of coming into his presence directly and confidently and expectantly. Every time we gather, we should gather together saying, Father, we're here to meet you. Father, we're here to be where you are. Father, we're here to hear from you. Father, we're here to cry out to you. Here are the needs we have. Here are the needs we see. We trust you. We expect great things from you. We're looking for you. Why? Because the, the long lost privilege of direct, full, certain access to God has been restored. If you got it, why don't you use it? But how is this done? Well, see with me. Look again with me at verse 18, how, how this mysterious privilege of peace actually comes. Paul teaches us how this privileged access to the Father works. He says, for through Christ, we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access in one spirit to the Father. This is, this is important because by it we know how to use this privilege of fellowship that peace with God gives. And Paul presents us with the fact that the privilege of access to the Father comes through God the Son, in God the Holy Spirit, by the desire and design of the Father himself. In other words, the way we come to use and enjoy this privilege of access to God is the result of the work of the three members of the Trinity. You say, well, I don't understand the Trinity. Well, okay. None of us completely understands, it, understands that dynamic in the Godhead. All of us need to have some sense of it. I don't hawk many books, but I'm going to say we've got 20 copies of this in the Trellison Vine. 
If this has been a stumbling block for you, it's been a challenge for you, and uh, you're not predisposed to large volumes of theology, here's a skinny book just for you. But let's look at this together. I want you to notice the work of, the, of, of God the Son for us opens the way to access for the, to the Father. Now, we've already seen, uh, Paul says, it is through the Son. Through him, we, have, we both have access. Through him. We've seen that by repentance and faith in Christ and his cross work and his resurrection, there's not only the possibility of peace with God for everyone in this world, but the invitation to come into the presence of God. And so for those who receive the good news of peace, the reality of peace with God becomes theirs. And in Christ, they are the ones allowed into the Father's presence. Christ is the way by which we enter into the presence of the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. But if Christ is the way by which we enter, what is the means? How do we, how do we get into the presence? Notice, Paul says, it is in or by the Spirit. Do you see that in verse 18? In the spirit. In other words, it is by or because of the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, in them that believers have direct, immediate, ready contact with the Father. Just as believers are united together to one another and are united together to Christ, each by the indwelling spirit, the spirit in them also connects them or brings them into the presence of the Father. So Jesus is our way to the Father and the Spirit's presence in us is the door through which we move into the Father's presence. Or I toyed with the idea of Jesus Lee is the way to the Father and the Spirit is the usher who brings us in. But if I were, and I can't spend too much time on this, but he says in and it's, it's locative. You say, oh, that blessed me. I'm going to remember that all week, and, and it's going to bless me. It's going to change my life. Well, the Spirit, in the Spirit, the Spirit is the place. that The presence of the Spirit is the place in which we meet the Father. He opens up the door. I, I, that's as good as I got right there. Um, but it's so very important. You see why now, when the Spirit is grieved or quenched in our lives, our prayers are hindered, our worship is hindered, all those things are hindered. When the spirit is quenched and the father says, oh, come on in, now we got some things to deal with, it's because the spirit is quenched. That one who ushers us in is going, all right, here she is. She's got some problems. Think about it with me for a moment. This makes perfect sense. This is why Jesus told the Samaritan woman that the day would come when those who worship the Father would come into his presence, would do so not on a mountain or in a temple, but would enter his presence by the Holy Spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. In one spirit, Paul says elsewhere, we have access to the Father. Later, Paul speaks of the need in Ephesians 6 for believers to live their lives 
praying in the Spirit on all occasions. The Spirit is the way we come into the presence of the Father. But there is one thing more and most important for us to know and understand. It is this. Behind the access that we have through the Son and in the Spirit is the Father himself. And that leads Paul to point us to what the mysterious privilege of peace ultimately means. Look again at the end of verse 18. It is through Christ that we, have, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Paul gets to the heart of the privilege of access that peace restores to us when he speaks of the Father. What we find implied here is made explicit elsewhere, and that is the fact that behind, watch now, the peacemaking of Christ for the church and the indwelling of the Spirit in the church, there is the person of the Trinity known as the Father. And in Ephesians 2.4, Paul explains his role in believers finding peace and his role in, in the church's privilege of access saying, but God who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us made us alive together in Christ. In other words, behind our peace, behind our access is this father and his love. Here we have what the great Puritan theologian John Owen declared to be the great discovery of the gospel, the God of this universe, the God who is all-powerful, the God who is holy and hates sin, this God is a God who loves, and he loves like a father. Because this God is a father. He is the father of fathers. This is the great surprise that the gospel springs on us. The God from whom you were so separated, the God who is so very holy, the God you could never reach, never touch, has actually opened up the door, made a way for you, and what you find when the door is open is not a cold, calculating God. You find a warm, loving Father, what, <laughs> what, 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 a father. What the mysterious privilege of access ultimately means is that we are loved. Now, here I got a problem. I got a huge problem. And I might as well just go ahead and unpack it for you right here, right now. The great discovery of the, God, of the church and the gospel might seem to be God loves you. But this is unfortunate. It's, it's even tragic. There is much more than God loves you that is being said in the gospel. Okay, let's go ahead and be honest. If God loves you is the great discovery of the gospel, then for most of you, it is neither great nor is it a discovery. You know this already. God loves you has been said so many times on so many church billboards, backboards, bumpers, 
I don't know, I'm running out of things to, yeah, but it's been said everywhere. In so many, ti- so many times, in so many ways, and it's now passe, it's bland, it's uninspiring, the message is old, it's tired, it's boring. But what I want to say to you is, God loves you is not the heart of the gospel of peace that Christ declared. It's incomplete. The great, almost unspeakable discovery of the church is rather the Father loves you. The Father loves us. The Father loves me. The God who made us is a Father who loves us. When you get there, you get to the great discovery of the gospel. Not just some God somewhere who has some kind of quality. No, it is the God of the universe. He has chosen to make himself to us like a father. And not even like a father, as our father. That is the great discovery of the gospel. Now see, here's something I want you to notice with me. You you can never know this on your own. Creation doesn't reveal God as father. Creation reveals there's a God, but creation does not reveal God as father. Experience in this hard, cold world doesn't show God as a father. But the cross of Jesus Christ and the spirit who indwells every believer, they insist on it. God is a father who loves. Now to be sure, the Bible also teaches that the son loves and the spirit loves too. But the Bible consistently gives special emphasis to the love of the Father. Why? Because all of humanity has a deep and a seemingly unsatisfiable father hunger. For the Father, they always needed but never had. We think of father hunger as belonging only to children who are abandoned by their fathers, whose fathers die when they are young, whose father's addictions made them absent, whose father's work made them untouchable. But in truth, father hunger applies to all of us. Even if we had human fathers who were present, who provided and protected us faithfully, Even if we had those kind of fathers, they were themselves still imperfect. And they themselves had had imperfect fathers to follow. And all of the imperfections of all the imperfect fathers who have ever lived can be traced back to the loss of the one who was and meant himself to be our great original father. The father of fathers. How we lost him. Watch now, listen. If you don't remember anything else I said, now's the time to listen. How we lost him and how he lost us came from a lie we were told. And a lie that we believed and are still prone to believe if we're not careful. And that lie, simply put, is this. The Father doesn't really love you. 
you can't really trust him. So be your own father or find another somewhere else because this father, the serpent said to Adam and Eve, doesn't really love you. So you don't want access to his presence. You don't need access to his presence. He doesn't love you. Can I say to you that one of the best ways to know whether you believe the Father loves you is where you run when you find yourself in trouble. If you run to the Father, you can pretty well know you believe He loves you. If you run everywhere but to the Father or you leave the Father to the end, you can be sure you don't really trust His love for you because you went looking somewhere else for what only he can do. But the gospel proves that the father we lost was the father we always needed, was the father we always wanted, but the Father we could never find on our own. But the good news is, the Father we could not find has found us. He's chosen to end our wondering if we're loved, our wondering if we're valuable, our wondering if we are worthy. The great mystery of the church is how it is that the peace Christ gives restores the highest privilege we ever had but lost, that ready, direct, full access to the Father. <laughs> the great discovery of the church in the gospel is the mystery that the Father loves us, wants us, and calls us constantly to himself. And can I say to you, we cannot know why. We cannot know why the Father loves us. But we can know it is true. And we can know it by the cross of his son, by our sense of the presence of his spirit who pours into our hearts his very love. We can know it. It is true. Because of what Christ did and the spirit we have. We are loved by the Father of fathers. And my friends, there is no greater gift 
and no higher privilege than to be able to come and pray and worship and say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. here what do you need don't be afraid your father he loves you Lord God we bow in your presence. It is a mystery to us that we are even here. We do not know why, but we know how. We do not know why But this we know. You love us. With a love that does not fail. You welcome us in when we've been faithful. You welcome us in when we've been prodigal. In fact, we have every reason to believe when we've lived like prodigal children and we crawl our way back into your presence that you run to us to gather us up Like a father gathers up his broken children in his arms. And for all of this, Father God, we thank you. In this love relationship we have, help us to answer your love with love of our own such a father we pray and ask it in Jesus name amen amen thanks for joining me today if you enjoy these podcasts take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz my prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life